this this month the theme is uh, Jesus in our lives and homes, and specifically today he brings his peace into our homes and lives. Uh, peaceful lives produce peaceful homes. Uh, lives with unresolved troubles make troubled homes. And so if a person is full of troubles and they're not resolved, then there's not going to be peace in that home. And there's 431 verses in the Bible that have contained the word peace. Now, some of those are negative, like the scriptures say that there is no peace for the ungodly. You know, the world always is talking about we, we need peace. People say, what do you want? Well, I want world peace. There will be no world peace until Jesus takes over the hearts of people in the world. Um, you know, there, there are situations that resolve where there are peace accords that happen, but then give it a few years and there's people that rise up that, that negate that peace accord. Peace only comes to hearts and only Jesus can bring peace to hearts. And it's people who have surrendered to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, that can really walk in accordance uh, with what really is peaceful. See, Jesus doesn't compromise. Not only does the Bible talk about the fact that Jesus gives us peace, but Jesus himself said this. He said, I don't think that I came to give you peace. I came to give you a sword. I came to set at variance those even of your own household. And what he meant by that was that when we surrender to Jesus, not everybody likes that. And sometimes even people that are closest to us are at odds with us because of our faith in Jesus. But I've seen many, many times that people that come to Jesus, that it disturbs the family, if they will consistently walk out what God tells them and stay true to Jesus, then over time, many of those people in the family and their friends that were at odds with them because of their faith in Jesus, they eventually surrender to Jesus as well. So 431 verses where this word is used. Paul began all 13 of his letters by proclaiming grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wasn't just writing those words. He meant that grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what we speak is so very, very important. Uh, many times when I see people are going through a difficult time or they've got a great task, I'll send them a note or send them a note on the phone or whatever. I'll say grace, to, grace, strength, peace, and courage to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to be encouragers and we can sow peace with the words that we speak and the words that we write. Peter began his two epistles by declaring grace and peace be multiplied to you. And John began his second epistle and the book of Revelation with grace and peace. And so these are very significant things. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, this is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. In verse 6 it says, For, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Now, notice at the beginning it says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This shows that Jesus is a gift to us from God. To us a child is born. What do we have to do with that? All we can do is receive it. To us a son is given. If somebody gives you something, it's a gift. Well, God gave us the gift of his son. And one of the greatest things that God wants us to have is peace. And we're going to look at that. We're going to unpack what peace is. So to us a child is born, to us a son is giving. But then there is a strange conjunction of words in this passage. It uses the word government and the word peace in the same sentence. And that is a strange thing because there is no earthly government that has ever brought peace. But the government of God brings peace into our lives. The government of God is the rule or the leadership of God. The word rule in the Greek means lead or shepherd. God's government through his governor Jesus produces peace for all who surrender to him. There is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. Nobody in the world has ever experienced peace except those who have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit, which we'll look at in just a minute. And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 14 when it's talking about the birth of Christ, it says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So peace is offered to everybody. Peace is offered to everybody. Let me give you a premise. If we want a lasting, abiding peace, the peace of God, it comes about through an intimate relationship with the Lord in which we hear and do what he says. And I want to repeat that. If we want a lasting, abiding peace, that is the peace of God, it comes about through an intimate relationship with the Lord in which we hear and do what he says. In John chapter 14, in verse 20, Jesus begins this verse by saying, at that day. What day is he talking about? Well, the whole context of John chapter 14 and 15 and 16 is when he sends the Holy Spirit after he leaves. So at that day, that is at the day that the Spirit of God comes into our life, he said, you will know that I'm in my Father, that you are in me and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me. Now, now hear this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. 
Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If any man loves me, hear this, If any man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If any man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The word home here is translated abode. Jesus and the Father want to make their home with us. They want our homes to be their abodes or their dwelling places. Now, abode is the noun form of the word abide, and you know the 15th chapter of John is all about abiding. Jesus talks about, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it will be done for you. So the word abode is a dwelling place, and he wants to set up house with us. He makes a connection. Jesus makes a connection between us doing what he says and he and the Father setting up house with us. Now, it doesn't mean that if you don't always obey the Lord that he is not interested in you or that he's not with you, but there is something that we see in the scriptures. For example, when David, when David decided that he would go out and do battle with Goliath. He, was so, uh, he so impressed Saul that Saul made the statement, go and the Lord be with you. Well, Saul needed to understand that God was with the armies of Israel, but they were not cognizant of it because they were not really walking with him. But when I make a decision that when I hear what the Lord says and I begin to order my life in accordance with what the Lord says, then God is with me in a very different way than he is with a person who's not being obedient. It doesn't mean that the other people aren't loved by God, but if you want God in your life to help you on a daily basis, you can't ignore what he says. I think I'll talk to these people for a while. I said if we want God in our lives in a manifest way on a daily basis to help us, then we cannot ignore what he says. You know, we live in a culture that is so feel-good, and that has crept into the church. And we walk with God according to feelings. You know, if I was walking with God according to feelings, I would not be here this morning. I've been meditating and studying on peace, and I was awakened in the middle of the night in turmoil in my heart. It's been an attack, an attack. But we have to stop walking by feelings and we have to do according to what God says. That is so important if we're going to be overcomers. And he's called us to be overcomers. Somebody said years ago, God said it and that settles it. Excuse me, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But here's the reality. God said it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. But when you believe it, it settles it for you. And so we take him at his word, even when feelings are contrary. 
So many times we are asked by the Lord or directed by the Lord to do something that is contrary to our feelings. And we have to step out in obedience and do that. When we decide, let me, let me put it this way. Jesus makes a connection between us doing what he says and he and the Father setting up house with us. When they make their abode, their home in us, there is the peace of God in us and in our homes. If we want a lasting, abiding peace, I'm repeating what I started this with, but it's so important. If we want a lasting, abiding peace, the peace of God, it comes about through an intimate relationship with the Lord in which we hear and do what he says. And that's how we have peace in our homes. When our homes are ruled by thus says the Lord. Our, our, our lives are, are ruled by thus says the Lord. And then the, the, in, later on in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He says, I'm going to give you a peace, but I'm not giving you peace like the world gives to you. The peace that the world gives us is shallow and temporary. It's counterfeit. Just if you if if you think that if you think that the peace that humans offer others is permanent, just talk to the Native Americans and the treaties that the white man made with them and broke them over and over and over and over again. So the peace the world gives is shallow and temporary. It's counterfeit. It's based on human standards, and it's connected to favorable circumstances. But the peace that Jesus gives is profound, penetrating, and permanent. It is sincere and without deceit. It is supernatural, and it's independent of circumstances. When, when, when he gives us peace, it doesn't mean that all of the things around us are going to come in order. It means that no matter what's happening around us in our hearts, we are at peace. But it is dependent on our posture and actions. John 14 begins, the first verse, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. There are many circumstances and situations in life that can trouble our hearts. Finances, uh, challenges with family, all sorts of things. Health, all sorts of circumstances can trouble our hearts. But why did Jesus here say, don't let your heart be troubled? Well, at the end of the 13th chapter, Jesus is telling them, I'm going away. And then Peter says, I want to go with you. And Jesus said, 
Where I'm going, you cannot go now, but you will follow me afterwards. And what Jesus was telling Peter, I'm going to the cross. Even though Peter did not understand that at the moment, he said, I'm going to go to the cross and you will follow me later because you're going to meet the same kind of death that I did. And so what Jesus is saying is, it's not now, but the day will come that you will suffer for your faith even as I am about to. Peter, the disciples, and even us, we must not let our hearts be troubled about the challenges of life and the opposition, even the persecution that we suffer for following Jesus or be troubled about anything else. So it's imperative that we do not allow our hearts to be troubled. So if that's going to happen, I've got to take a posture not to let my heart be troubled. Last night when I was awakened, I had to deal with it. And today I'm going to show you how to deal with those situations. I've got more notes than I can ever get to today, unless you want to stay till three. But anyway, 431 verses. So. If we do not let our hearts be troubled, then we will live in peace regardless of our circumstances. And that's where God wants us to be. I remember years ago when I was first being trained in ministry and I was in Bible school, there was a catchphrase, but it really meant a lot to me. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by, no, I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by the word that's real. And it was a nice thing to say, but it meant a lot to me because there were so many things in life. When you start out in ministry and you don't really have hardly anything at all, then you better, you better base what you're doing on what God says. So I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by the word that's real. That's got to be the capstone of our life. The capstone of our life. So what is peace? The Hebrew word shalom means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. You say, but I'm not complete. The Bible says you're complete in Christ. He has made us complete. He's brought us to wholeness. And the Greek word means tranquility of soul and heart. It means peace between individuals, harmony. The Greek word uh, for peace means fearing only God and being content with whatever I have. And this is the most beautiful definition of that word. If I'm at peace with you, it means that you can relax because I am content and I'm not wanting anything that you have. So, so peace affects me, but it also affects the people that are around me. What is peace? The Amplified Bible of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Peter says, may grace and peace, which is perfect well-being, all necessary good, all spiritual prosperity, 
freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. Let me repeat that. Perfect well-being, all necessary good, all spiritual prosperity, freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. And Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, multiplied to you in the full, personal, precise, and correct knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now this knowledge is far beyond mental assent. It is an accurate knowledge that comes through a, an abiding, intimate relationship over time. The grace and the peace of God are multiplied to us through a full, personal, precise, and correct knowledge of God. And that happens in relationship. It can't just happen through, through meditation in the Scripture. We should meditate the Scripture. We should know the Scripture. But this is a tool. You know, I, I like to put it this way. The first century church did not have these. The New Testament was not finished. And even the Old Testament, there were very few copies and they were in the temple. The first century church without these turned the world upside down. And the 21st century church has thousands of these and many times we're being, upside, we're being turned upside down by the world. Well, what's the difference? We know the book of God, but the first century church knew the God of the book. The purpose of the book of God is to enhance our relationship with the God of the book. It's to help us build an intimate relationship with God. When I read the Bible, I see the Father speaking to me. I see the Holy Spirit speaking to me, the Lord Jesus speaking to me. So his peace is multiplied to me. If I'm just, you know, here, here's, here's the problem many times with our prayer life. We see God as the rescue ranger. I pray when I'm in trouble. But if I'm not in trouble, I don't pray. And that's not healthy. As a matter of fact, that's very unhealthy. Prayer is not just a list of what I need, but it's getting to know the Father intimately and hearing what he has to say, and developing that relationship, taking the time, giving the time. I remember years ago hearing somebody give their testimony. This lady, she and her husband were called to ministry, her husband primarily, but they were extremely busy. She was busy as a housewife and with children and everything, and, and she worked a side job, and, and so she didn't have enough time to get in the Word. And yet she knew she had to get in the word. And so she was dealt with by the Holy Spirit. The Lord said, you don't have time for me, and therefore I'm not involved in what you're doing. He said, if you'll give me extra time. And so she made a decision. She got up one hour early every day, and she gave the first hour of her day to the Lord. And she said, in no time, she was able to do more in less time than she was doing before she started doing that because she honored God first. And so our lives are busy. But if, if we don't develop that relationship 
not only our lives are busy, but sometimes there's so much turmoil. We don't have peace because we, we feed on things that are not beneficial to us. And we don't have that intimacy with the Lord. I'm not getting on your case. Listen, if you don't have much time with God, if you don't have prayer time, don't start with an hour. It'll seem like two weeks. <laughs> start with 10 minutes. Just say, Lord, I've come to you. And you say, you don't really know how to pray? Well, go to the Lord and say, Lord, show me how to pray. <laughs> I, talk to God. That's how you pray. You just talk to God. You just talk to God. And as you talk to him, as you go to him, then the troubles that are so big, they go less and less because God gets bigger as you develop that relationship with him. For sure, when we come to Christ by repenting of our sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing the gospel, peace like a river floods our hearts. There's no question about that. And that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. I don't have time to read all of it in Galatians chapter 5. But Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 23, it talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And it's very interesting. It says the works of the flesh are, but then it says the fruit of the Spirit is, is works are plural and then it lists a bunch of works of the flesh but then it called then it says the fruit of the spirit is the fruit of the spirit is love now this is the way i see it and i believe this is the way god intended it I used to teach there's nine fruits of the Spirit, but the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruits of the Spirit are. Think of an orange. The or God's orange is called love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and there's eight slices, eight sections. And those sections are called joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in, in several places in the scripture, primarily 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, those are descriptions of love, or those are aspects of love. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, and a part of that is peace it's a fruit of the spirit love with all of these attributes are in our spirits from the day we are born again the peace of God is in you Paul writing to the church at Colossae says let the peace of God rule in your hearts that's where the peace of God is so we've got to be come in tune to what's already put in us. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts. The Greek literally says God's love has been distributed largely into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
So all aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, love and all the eight slices of that orange are in us. In our spirit, the love, God's love has been poured into our hearts, distributed largely through the Holy Spirit. So what we have to do is we have to become adept at yielding to this love and its characteristics. That's why Paul told the church at Galatia, if you will walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible doesn't say fight the lust of the flesh. It says choose to walk by the Spirit. One of the works of the flesh is, is lust. It doesn't say fight lust. It says choose to walk by the Spirit. If, if there's a temptation to lust, if it's lusting after food, if it's lusting after drink, if it's lusting after sex, whatever it is, choose to go with God rather than the lust. So we walk by the Spirit and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. So I want you to get that. What you need to live this life has been deposited into your spirit. The moment we are born again, we are godlike in our spirit. It's our soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions that's a mess. That's why we need to renew our minds to begin to think like God, to where our soul and our spirit are strong together to overcome the flesh. And one of the ways, one of the, the key way is to develop that relationship with the Lord tied to his word. In John 16, 33, Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So he says, I've told you these things that in me you'll have peace. Now in the world you'll have trouble. In me you'll have peace. In the world you'll have trouble. Where are we? Both. We're in Christ and we're in the world. The Bible actually says we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus says, in me you have peace. In the world you'll have trouble. So here we are in both. We are in Christ, but we're in the world. Our position and our identity is in Christ. That's who I am. I am an in Christ person. There's neither Jew nor Greek in Christ. There's neither black nor white in Christ. There's neither Hispanic nor Italian in Christ. We are one in Christ Jesus. There's neither male nor female in Christ. We're all one in Christ Jesus. So we are in the world and we are in Christ. So our, our position and identity is in Christ. Jesus said, in me you have peace. In the world you will have trouble. What he's saying is this. In the midst of the trouble in the world, he gives us his peace because we're in him. That's our true identity. But then he says this, take heart or be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He does not say I've overcome the trouble. 
He said, I've overcome the world. Overcoming the trouble is for us to do. And we have his peace while we navigate and overcome the trouble. So there's trouble around us, but we have peace in the midst of the trouble. We have his peace in the midst of the trouble. And we're going to see his peace is beyond comprehension. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. He says, do not be anxious, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Well, that sounds like you can have peace if he says don't be anxious about anything. But he gives us an alternative. You know, Paul, Paul is very good about giving instruction. He told the church at Ephesus, don't get drunk on wine but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> In other words, he said, drunk, getting drunk on wine is, is excess. If you really want to be properly stimulated and it be lasting, be filled with the Spirit. That's why the, being receiving the Spirit is called new wine. Well, here he says, don't be anxious about anything, but... Alternative, in everything. Is everything included in everything? <laughs> Is there anything that's not included in everything? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What's supplication? It's seeking, asking, and entreating. In other words, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes we have to press in. Sometimes we want to run in and get a quick fix and then go on about our business. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Gratitude. With gratitude. In advance, let your request be made known to God. Take your request to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And if we do that, what does he say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? It means that here I am with all of this chaos and this trouble around me, and I've got nothing but peace. It makes no sense. How can I be at peace? It's what happened to me Back in May of 2019, I had just been diagnosed with cancer. Had been, uh, had 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 the biopsy. I told this story on online not long ago, and I said I just had an autopsy. But actually, I had just had a biopsy, and um, <laughs> I didn't have an autopsy. Did not. <laughs> and and I, I'd had the I'd had the biopsy. It was, it was malignant, and, and I was sitting there, and I, I opened the word one day, and the Lord said, this is my report for you. By my stripes, you're healed. And from that moment on, I did not have an anxious thought about cancer and have not had it since then. 
That's the peace of God that passes all understanding. But it's tied to what he said. It's tied to what he said. That's why I put more truth in what God says than what the doctor says. I don't deny what the doctor says. When I go to a doctor, I'm saying, Doc, look at me. Tell me what you see. And he can tell me what he sees, but there's things here that override what the doctor says. And you say, well, that makes no sense. Well, the peace of God that passes all understanding makes no sense. And it says that that peace will guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on further. Finally, brothers and sisters. Now, before I read that, in verse 6 and 7, he was talking about the peace of God. That's wonderful. The peace of God. But he's going to take it a step further. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, that doesn't mean if it's factual, it means if it's of the truth. There's a lot of factual things I don't need to focus on. If it's of the truth, God's word is truth. Whatever things are true, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. So we have to understand there is a connection between our peace or lack thereof and what we're thinking about. What are our thoughts on a daily basis? If we're feeding on junk, our thoughts are going to be junk. If we're feeding on trash, our thoughts are going to be trash. But he says, think on things related to the truth. Whatever's honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. So there is a connection to what we think about and our peace or lack thereof. So we need to guard our thoughts. We need to guard our thoughts. In just a minute, I'll show you how to do that. Now verse 9 says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So we started with having the peace of God, ended up with having the God of peace. So we have the peace of God by casting our cares upon the Lord, not be anxious Pray and give him thanks. That gives me the peace of God. But when I begin to walk out, Paul said, whatever you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things. When I begin to walk a life of obedience, not only do I have the peace of God, but I have the God of peace with me in my endeavors. That's what he said. So we move in three verses from 
having the peace of God to having the God of peace. The God of peace manifests himself with us when we put into action what he says. And going back to how we started, he said, if you'll hear what I say and do it, I'll come set up house with you. Having God in our homes. And then I'm going to close with this. 2 Corinthians 10, back in 1970, we got married in 72, right? 73, three? Okay, so this was either late 73 or early 74. Uh, I was fairly newly married. Nita was a nurse at the time and she was working Three to eleven, and we were living on the campus at the university in in, uh, in East Tennessee. And I was studying, and I'm sitting there minding my own business. And the thoughts start coming: "You're going to die." Honestly, I wasn't afraid to die. I was fairly new believer. I was excited about Jesus. But it kept coming, you're going to die. And then the thought came, you're going to die now, here. And the thing that scared me was I didn't want Nita to come home and find me dead. So I listened to that thought long enough, and I packed up my books and went to the library. <laughs> and I thought, well, if I'm going to die, let somebody else find me besides Nita. And so I didn't understand that I, I, I didn't understand that I don't have to put up with thoughts. Jesus didn't put up with thoughts. When he was on the Mount of Temptation, Satan came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. And how did Jesus deal with that thought? He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus quoted scripture. As a matter of fact, all three of the temptations that came to Jesus, he spoke the word to deal with the thoughts, to deal with the words that Satan was speaking. As a matter of fact, as a, as a fairly new Christian, I did not even know that Satan or his demons could speak to me. I had no, I had no clue about that. And so that happened another time. And so I had met a friend. I had met a person in Michigan back a couple of years before. And I had actually been filled with the Holy Spirit through, through that individual. He'd pray for me to be filled with the Spirit. And so I called him out of the blue. I just His name came to mind and I talked to him. And he taught me this verse over the telephone. It changed my life. I wish I could say that every time I had a thought that I didn't want, I acted on it. But the majority of times I had. I used this last night. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, though we walk in the flesh, that simply means even though we live in a physical body, our warfare is not according to natural means. We don't fight natural fights. Then he says in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare, did you know you're in a warfare? You're in a warfare. Satan hates you. The demons of hell hate you. 
and hate me. And they don't want us to grow. They don't want us to be an instrument in the hand of God. The weapons of our warfare. Now think about weapon. If you think about the armor of God, it talks about shoes. It talks about a belt. It talks about a breastplate. It talks about a helmet. It talks about a shield. It talks about a sword. Now, which of those is more accurately called a weapon? The sword. And what is the sword? It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the placement of the sword in the armor of God is not in our hand, but it's in our mouth. We speak the Word of God. As a matter of fact, if, if we're not speaking, our faith is inactive. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 4 talks about the spirit of faith. I believe, therefore I speak. So the weapons of our warfare, they're not natural, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is a thought that has a stronghold on you. I've had strongholds. I remember years ago, I was supernaturally afraid of storms. And I lived in Oklahoma. <laughs> I mean, the sky could get dark gray and I would just be hit with torment. I had a stronghold about tornadoes. And there's other strongholds. Strongholds can be sickness. Strongholds can be all sorts of things. But the weapons of, war, of our warfare are mighty in God to pull down strongholds, casting down arguments. One translation says imaginations. The first part of imagination is the word image. Sometimes, sometimes attacks to the mind come in pictures. Casting down imaginations or arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do you do that? You speak the word. You speak the word. If anxiety comes, just go into prayer. Usually when I, when, I, when I really am coming against a stronghold or thoughts that are bothering me, I spend some time praying in the Spirit. And then I begin to, I just feel my faith rise up and I say, in Jesus' name, anxiety leave. I have the peace of God. I speak scriptures that deal with that. Otherwise, we just go around in life being controlled by our thoughts, and it's an unhealthy thing. And it keeps us from doing that, which is the will of God. And so I want to encourage you this morning. If, if you're not a student of the Scriptures, I cannot, I cannot ex implore you enough, become a student of the Scriptures. This is the handbook for life. And the Holy Spirit takes this and makes truth real to us. And then we have something by which to do warfare against the adversary. 
God wants you to live in peace. God wants me to live in peace. He has deposited that peace, that fruit of the Spirit, in our hearts, in our spirits from the time we're born again. And he wants us to walk in that peace. So I want to encourage you that when the lies come, if you don't know a bunch of scriptures, just say, I resist that. Say it. Make yourself say it. You'll feel like a fool at first. One of, the, one, of the, one of the most significant theologians ever. He said, we're, he said, people are in trouble because they don't talk to themselves and they listen to themselves. <laughs> I talk to myself regularly. I speak. I'll hear Nita in the house. She's saying something and find out she's not talking to me. Speak. Speak against the lies. Speak against the lies. When sickness comes, I speak against it because I know absolutely, unequivocally, it is not the will of God that I be sick. I know that. Why? Because Jesus bore my sicknesses. Just like I know that it's not his will that I have sin in my life because he bore my sins, I know it's not his will that, he bear my, that, that I have sickness because he bore my sicknesses. Let's close our eyes. Not to be religious, but just to meditate on this. If there's issues in your life, issues, thoughts, troubles that you just are having difficulty with overcoming, the Lord wants you free from that. And, and he wants you to stay free from it. Not that trouble won't come knocking again, but he wants you to be able to deal with it. He wants you to stand. Now, thank God we can always have people pray for us. That's, that's always the case. Agreement is an, is an amazing thing. But God also wants you to be able to, there when the trouble comes knocking at your home when you're all by yourself. Just to begin to declare in Jesus' name. This is not true. I resist that thought. I speak against it. I bring, I bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And only you can do that. And you can do it. You say, well, I don't know scriptures. Well, just say in Jesus' name. But take it as, a, as an impetus that I must know the scriptures.